Hi, and welcome to the Unique Perspective Show, broadcast live on Hakol Radio, powered by the Montanivasar. Every person, and in particular, every Jew, is special and unique in his or her own way, contributing to society with their very own flavor. My name is Yehuda Blonder, your show host, and I was born with a rare medical condition called familial dysautonomia, also known as FD. Growing up and overcoming multitudes of medical challenges shaped the person I am today, as well as gave me a rather unique perspective on life. On this show, we will be sitting down with amazing people with unique perspectives in life who will give us a glimpse into their lives and what makes them who they are. Come along with me for the ride on the Unique Perspective Show on Hako Radio. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Unique Perspective Show live on Hako Radio. On today's show, I am thrilled and honored to announce that we have the pleasure of having Tzvi Gluck on the show. Tzvi Gluck grew up in Borough Park, Brooklyn, was part of TransCare Ambulance Service. But Tzvi is well known for in the from community as the founder of Amudim. Please help me in welcoming Tzvi Gluck to the show. Welcome Tzvi and how are you? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Unique Perspective show. How are you? I am great, Baruch Hashem. How are you? Baruch Hashem. So let's jump right in. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Borough Park, Brooklyn. What yeshivas did you go to? I went to Chassan Seifer. I went to Spink. I went to Taravadas. I went to a lot of yeshivas. You know, there's a long list. Uh-huh. Denver, Adelphia, Peekskill, Hartska, Montreal, Rabbi Radinsky, and Muncie. Wow. Just, just to name a few. So you, you, you traveled the world for yeshiva. Yeah, I was testing out so many different, uh, you know, so many different ideas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, uh, got to try it out. Um, so your, your father, first of all, is an amazing person. Is he the one that actually started Hatzalah? What's his, what's his he was, story? He was, he was one of the founders. Rabbi Herschel Weber was the one that had the vision and the dream. Okay. And he, the next uh, contact was with my father, who was already uh, getting familiar with the world of government and politics. Okay. And uh, they did it together. Mm-hmm. So growing up, what was it like for you? So the joke I tell people is, it's not such a joke, but growing up, you know, in my house, and I love my father dearly, yeah. but I always said I'm, I would never go into public service, not because I resented what he did. If no, I loved what he did. But uh, it wasn't the type of lifestyle that I really, uh, you know, wanted to, uh, you know, wanted to have. But I guess God has other plans. I mean, my father is Baruch Hashem, an amazing person, really. And he's done great work. He still does great work. But in those days, he was the only, um, you know, uh, Askin before that word became popular. And uh, it was definitely tough, but it was, you know, enjoyable. So was it hard for you growing up? with a father that was in public service and not being around that often? Um, Yeah, it definitely took its toll, you know, and that's why I I try to do as much as I can to focus right now on, you know, on, on 
trying to balance both. But, you know, but I fully understand and respect that, you know, back in those days, that wasn't really an option. There weren't enough people doing this type of work. Right. Um, so fast forward after all those yeshivas and everything, how did you meet your wife? And uh, how long ago was it? I actually met my wife at Ground Zero on September 11th. Wow. I was there volunteering as a Hatzalah member. My wife was an EMT, and she went there to see if anyone can help. And that's actually the first time I met her. It's not when we started right. dating, but it's the first right. time I met her. Okay. So when, when, when did you guys start dating, and when did you get married? Started dating uh, about a year or so later, on and off. You know, the very my wife's a couple. Of, my wife is three years older than me, so there was a lot of different uh, balances through the process. But we uh, we got married in March of two thousand and three. Okay, and you lived in Brooklyn. Where did you live after I, you got I, married? I, I, in Queens, where I've been living ever since. Uh huh. What did you start doing after you got married? Um, I worked as a paramedic. Um, on ambulances. I then went to work uh, at a couple of odd jobs here and there. I then went to work in finance for a bit and in, in real estate. I was trying to, uh, you know, my hope was that I wanted to be rich. That, that was my goal. Okay. It didn't really work out too well for me, but I tried. You worked as a paramedic for who? I worked, I, I worked for Maimonides EMS, working the 911 system. I worked for Transcare, doing transports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those jobs where you can work in a few different places if you're not doing any one of them specifically full-time, which made it much easier for running a schedule when I was newly married. Right. What was your involvement? I know, I think we crossed paths or whatever with Shlomo Zakheim. What was your involvement with him? Um, he was the owner of, of the Transcare company. Um, right. Or it was called MetroCare, I think, when I started working there. Right. Um, and I guess... You know, being that I was in Atsalo, um, right. he, you know, he was, I guess I would say good to me as far as making sure that I had the shifts that I needed and, right. you know, other things. So that was, uh, you know, he was, he was very good about that. Right. So what was your original vision made you decide to start Amudim? And what was your vision originally when you started it? So I, I had already been involved in dealing with various different situations before starting Amudim. I, okay. I was uh, volunteering at Our Place in Brooklyn, which is a drop-in right. center. Um, and I had started noticing a lot of other issues. And then a very, very dear friend of mine um, who was involved in helping me with so many different areas of chesed and tzedakah, laser shiner, right. um, had started putting pressure on me to say, you know, you need to just really do something that's going to be organizational. You got to take this to the next level. It's just, you got to, you got to really, you know, you got to expand your horizons. And at that point mm-hmm. I was helping people as a, as a yachid, as an individual, whether it was, right addiction related abuse related you know the legal system but i was doing it as a as an individual and i kept pushing back and laser kept pushing and pushing and then you know the abish defer tavelt and i had met um i'd gone to a bris that Maishi wolfson made for an anical okay. and after the bris i went over to his house and you know not to go through all the details but right. i had met mendy klein oliver shalom over there and we started you know we, we developed a very strong uh, you know friendship and relationship and over the next um, 
year or so, you know, realizing a lot of different issues. And then finally, one day, Mendy and Maishi uh, sat me down and said, it's time to do something to make a difference. And, you know, let's go. And that was pretty much when we started Amudim. They, they pushed me into it and we just went through the process. Mm-hmm. And what year was that? This was in 2014. The initial vision was really to destigmatize abuse within the from community. Right. To really make it where people can feel comfortable to reach out, to talk to people, to ask, you know, to try to, you know, get help, not to be embarrassed about it. That was the real, that was the initial, uh, you know, purpose. Uh, but very quickly it, it transformed into people reaching out for help. And then it just grew from there. And now we have, you know, offices in the United States and Israel. Um, most of our staff are clinicians and, you know, we now handle cases from abuse, addiction, mental health issues, and we do what we call comprehensive clinical case management. Okay. So even though our staff are therapists, they're not treating the clients, they're managing their care. They're making sure that they're getting the proper treatment, that the family's getting the tra- proper treatment, you know, and, and the reason why we chose to have therapists do this work is because we felt that if the person is a clinician, it makes it much easier to understand the various issues that are being dealt with and to have a healthier way of trying to assist as opposed to, you know, not having a better understanding of the field, the industry, and the problems that we face. Wow. So all of this started in 2014. Correct. Right. So back in 2020, we had COVID. You're in public service. So how did you relate when COVID hit and Amudim? How did that did that take a did that take a big toll for you when COVID hit? It actually took a huge toll. Um, mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, our caseload just on new cases and new clients in 2020 jumped up by. Uh, I think over six, 700 cases more than we had the year before. And it was like another 800 and so odd cases that we opened in 2021 above the year before. But from an organizational perspective, not only did it affect us that way, but we ended up, you know, realizing so many people had so many issues that we, you know, we launched a support line that was staffed by therapists. You know, a lot of therapists weren't working, so it was good timing. We fielded thousands of calls. Um, you know, so that was one way that we stepped up. We, we've generated videos, um, educational videos that, you know, were animations that were amazing right. um, in, in techniques for parents to be able to try to remain calm and collective. Okay. Uh, during the first Pesach, you know, we, we set up uh, close to 120 people um, in various hotels that were closed because of COVID right. that were victims of abuse or domestic violence that just, they couldn't be home with their abusers. And Pesach right. was the first big, you know, event, let's call it. It was going to be a three-day umptif. Right. There's just so much going on. So we ended up setting that up. Uh, the UJA was actually very helpful with us in funding that, you know, so that was really great. Um, and we also got Sak Halachas from Rev. David Cohn and, and Rev. Katz from Lakewood about people reaching out both to the support line and in general for therapy or for meetings for addiction on Shabbos and Yom Tif that, you know, which was very powerful because many people in the mental health field or people right. that are dealing with mental health struggles are embarrassed to ask thereof for like a psak halacha. Am I allowed to call a therapist on a Shabbos, on a Yom Tif? What am I allowed to do? Right. And because of the fact that they put out that video, it was 
thousands of people have been able to feel comfortable to reach out for help, not necessarily just for Amudim, but just in the concept of understanding that mental health is DNA nefashais. And just like people will call Hatzalah when they have an emergency, you know, people will, you know, be able to call their mental health professional or a crisis hotline or a texting line, you know, for dealing with emergencies. So that was like, I would say the, right. the, the, the silver lining. Um, okay. But overall, you know, we had to continue balancing what we were doing. And then, as you mentioned, from the public service side, because of other relationships that we had with government and with the Israeli consulates and other things, you know, we started assisting people in, in times of bereavement and in death, people that lost family members needed to get paperwork to get to Eretz Yisrael, to get the Nifter to Eretz Yisrael. And somehow that just took on a life of its own. We ended up hiring additional staff. There was actually a specific donor that sponsored it okay. that was just focused on dealing with issues of, of Levias and Mesim. And then from there, it expanded even more into visas, entry permits, student visas. We worked very closely with uh, Rabbi Nechemia Malinowitz and, and setting up programs for students to get the yeshivas and the seminaries to be able to be open. So that was not what I call Amudim proper. And people very right. often have said, why did you mix into that? I said, listen, yeah, we weren't right. looking for it. It fell right. into our lap. It fell into okay. our lap from a whole Siata Deshmaya story. But the fact is, during COVID, everybody had an Achrayis to step up and to do what they can do. The same reason why we opened up our support line. Now, right. yes, that is more along the lines of mental health issues. Don't get me wrong. Right. But at the end of the day, no matter how you slice it, we had the ability to do something. We had the relationships to do it. And we did it. And then we closed down afterwards, meaning we didn't keep doing those things. It wasn't like we're, you know, we're not in the business of travel, but right. So, so that's how COVID really impacted us, but it also helped us, you know, help a lot more people in many other ways. Right. What was the Siata Dishmaya story that happened? So in one of my other hats, I am a chaplain with the Port Authority Police. Okay. And there was a nifter that was being flown by private jet to Eretz Yisrael from Westchester Airport, just when the airports were closing and everything okay. was shutting down. Wow. And Westchester was ground zero at that point for COVID, New Rochelle. Right. And the airport uh, police basically said, you're not flying, you can't leave, you don't have the proper papers. And they they were threatened at one point to arrest the Hebra Kadisha. Wow. So they reached out to me as a Port Authority chaplain. And I said to them, right. I, I, you know, Westchester Airport is not part of Port Authority. So right. Not much I can do, but long story short, they they said, no, you got to try anyway. So I ended up going down there and I spoke to the okay. police and then I had to get the governor's office, which Baruch Hashem did help at that point, And then the commissioner okay. of health. And we ended up getting everything arranged where this nifter was able to be taken for Kfura Teretz Yisrael. Wow. Um, and then the next day, another funeral home called me saying, hey, you know, can you help us with this? And I, did, I didn't ask them, how did you like, why are you calling me? But like okay. I had just done it the night before. So now. I was already familiar with what the process needed to be. Right. And it, this just grew like one to the other to the other. And it just spiraled from there till it became so overwhelming that I just, I couldn't do it anymore. It was just very difficult. Right. And I, you know, I was talking to one of my donors just mentioning it. And it turns out that one of the first few Niftarim was his father-in-law, which I had no wow. idea. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to cover, is it a money thing? Is it a pressure time thing? I said, listen, I, I, I don't have the staff for it. We're getting a lot more busy with Amudim work. Right. And he says, are you going to be able to handle it if we give you money to hire staff? Okay. And I said, yes, but they have to know it's a temporary job, Amir Tzashem, you know? Right. And then an, another one of our staff members um, um, who is very involved in dealing with a lot of the Narcan trainings and the awareness events 
So he now didn't have much work to do, you know, because right. we weren't there. So we put him also into that area. Okay. And then we ended up with David Kushner, um, who was who works for Amudim. And then we hired somebody, Ushi Lieber. And the two of them basically were running the entire travel-related component. So that was how we fell into it. So we weren't looking for it. But once it found us, we felt that, you know, we had an achrayas to do what we can to help. We will be right back after words from our sponsor. Is your computer running slower than molasses? Are you desperate to salvage important data from your hard drive? Let's face it, IT work can be a nightmare at times. Whether it entails virus removal, server or network setup, networking and cloud backup, or simple laptop and desktop ongoing IT support. At VentureTech, we understand how essential your systems are to your daily life, and we take the time to accurately diagnose every technical issue you're experiencing. Call us now for a consultation by dialing 347-603-0033 or shoot us an email to info at VentureTechComputers.com. And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. How do you become, how does someone become a Port Authority chaplain? That's, that's very unique. I mean, there, there are, you know, a bunch of us, um, you know, I had smicha. I was already getting involved as a liaison with the NYPD. My father's language was a chaplain with the Port Authority for many, many years. Okay. Um, I had become close to some of the commissioners just over time, uh, you know, from the Port Authority itself. And they were looking at that point for a chaplain that was near, you know, they tried revamping the program at that point where, they would have chaplains located in strategic areas near different Port Authority properties. So I was in Queens right. in between. I literally, I live smack in between, you know, LaGuardia Airport and Kennedy Airport. Right. So it just, you know, I got a call one day, would you be interested? And, and okay. you know, and they just went from there. Wow. So the whole COVID thing, did you see a lot more um, suicide attempts? Because we saw, the, we, we saw a lot of, more attempts. We saw a lot more suicides, a lot more overdoses. Addiction had jumped right back up to where it was before. I mean, okay. it was just so, uh, you know, like it literally just went, you know, all over. Um, and that was it. You know, we needed to, uh, you know, we needed to step up and do what we needed to do. And but that was probably the biggest issue that we had at that point was, you know, the way the, the, the numbers, you know, just really increased uh, tremendously over COVID. I mean, some of the other issues that we started seeing a lot more again of was the, um, um, you know, uh, the opioid pandemic. It was it was right. really coming. It was really starting to come on the way down. You know, it was really. And then all of a sudden it jumped back up again. I mean, I will tell you a lot of the. Uh, issues we had at that time, um, then got converted. Like, you know, you know, before COVID people that died of overdoses or suicides that the community didn't want to talk about. So a lot of people would say that it was an aneurysm or this right. or that, you know, post COVID it, you know, it, during COVID and post COVID now everybody was dying of COVID. So, you know, the community was still doing, you know, what they wanted to do. Um, and that was that, um, you know, we'll take it from there. So is it because of is it because the schools were closed? What was it because of that you see saw that big jump? So uh, again, in the in the alcoholism, it was a lot of parents that were home with their kids, just okay. a lot of, you know, 
um, in, in regular, it was people that just weren't people that were in recovery that were, you know, sober mm-hmm. for a while. They just were stuck at home again. A lot of their pressures came back. There was just so many variables that just, you know, people just couldn't hack it. And then with the right. abuse, there were so many victims that were literally stuck in the same house as their abusers. Right. So between all these variables, you know, these are things that, you know, just happen. So, right. That's pretty crazy. And do you see it coming down now more that since COVID was over, do you see it coming down more? I mean, so the answer is yes and no. In okay. other words, in some areas, we do see it coming down more in some areas, not, uh, you know, it, there's still a lot of after effects. One of the things that we mentioned to a lot of people when COVID right. was, was really starting to pick up is we really need to remember mm-hmm. the, what happened by Hurricane Sandy or by Superstorm Sandy, which was uh, everybody was so busy focusing on the houses and the floods, which again was very important that people, right. you know, neglected at that point to really see the mental health effect. Okay. And I was very, very nervous that this would be the same thing with COVID. And I actually spoke about this multiple times to people yeah. where I said, you know, we really have to be very, very, very smart because this is something that if we don't deal with this correctly, it is going to, you know, come back with a fury like we've seen in previous times. Right. And unfortunately, it, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, were like, again, and we're dealing with so many other areas of COVID, again, important areas that needed to be dealt with that it was like it became again, a problem. And it was like, what are we supposed to do now? So a lot of that is still being affected. I mean, we have kids that we were dealing with that, you know, looking back now, it's like they they were so, things were so off because of not being in school that a lot of the mental health issues that they had as a result of this are still, are still, are still in effect. And, And that's the problem. Right. Wow. I did say in the beginning to someone in the beginning of COVID, I did say that post-COVID, there's going to be a lot of people that will need mental health um, therapy because of all the schools being closed and being yeah, stuck I mean, at home. Also, the the, I mean, there was so many of these. It was really like, again, I'm not, you know, it, it was really, really tough. That I can tell you. You know, it was really, really tough, and it's still really tough. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of people that are that are dealing with the after effects, and and right. it's not, it's really not easy. You know, do you guys still get calls to this day? Do you get calls regarding? Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent, a hundred percent. We are definitely still getting a lot of calls. Um, and this is a big part of the process, but we, you know, again, we got to just keep doing what we do and that's what it boils down to. Right. Well, um, are you part of Hatsala? Are you, I I am also a volunteer in Hatsala. Yes. Mm -hmm. So how do you juggle everything? It must be Uh, very, very hard for you. So I could tell you that really it's not that hard because I am truly, truly blessed with an amazing, amazing staff, I must okay. tell you. Okay. So that that is something that really, I mean, uh, the staff, uh, really, I mean, they they make my life so much easier. And if not for them, then yeah, that would be a problem. Right. So 
a couple of months ago, there was an article that came out. I think it was a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago. An article came out about um, Maimonides Hospital. And someone said, I think it was about your father, your, ba- your father, Hashem, who was still living within the hospital and, and left the hospital. Is that true? What happened in Maimonides? And if yes, how could that be fixed? Is what true? I'm not understanding your question. Meaning there was there's many there were many politics in Maimonides Hospital. I think it was a couple of months. It wasn't ago. a question of politics. My father was a patient there, and right. he you know there was no air conditioning, just a post surgery. Okay. And it was just a major problem. That's right. It. No, I understand it was just that, but they blamed it on hospital. On the hospital um, uh, management. Uh, uh, I mean, who else? Uh, listen, uh, I run an organization, right? If somebody's yeah. not happy with something that right. one of my staff does, whose fault is it? Mine or my employees? No matter how you slice it, it's mine. It's, it's yours. Because that's the way it works in the real world. Right. So the answer is I mean, in this case specifically, the hospital knew about the air conditioning issue long before, and okay. they did nothing about it. So, you know, no matter how you slice that, it is that it was their fault. But here it was even worse because I had reached out to them to tell them what was going on. And they were like, you know, yeah, we're sending someone. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. And, and nothing happened. Okay. So, you know, when, when this was, in fact, the way things, you know, uh, turned out and then I reached out to them, I was like, I, I don't understand you. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, here we're, you know, I'm trying to... um I'm trying to, um, you know, to, to get my father help. So I went and I put out a video about it. Right. And instead of them stepping up and, and, and doing something, they came down and started threatening me. So that this wow. was, uh, you know, th- this took everything that was going on and made it 10 times worse. 10 so, times worse than it. Than, than in it. other words, if they would have just come and said, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. Right. right. Okay. okay. So that's one piece of the puzzle. Right. If they would have said, you know, we're going to do the best we can to try to help because of other things. It's another right. part of it. Right. Here, all they did was like turn it around on me and make it like, you know, like I'm, you know, like I'm doing something, you know, even more wrong. And I was like, what, what did I do? I tried getting help from you. Right. You guys didn't want to help me. Okay. And what do you want me to do now? Like, this is just ridiculous. So by them threatening me, that just really took it up to like a whole new level. And, and, and that, that's when I got upset and that's when I went to the media and, and, you know, people were accusing me that I was getting paid to do it. And this, I mean, listen, people can say whatever they want, right? but the reality is, you know, this is what happened. I believe I read an article someplace that said um, that they were, uh, you know, they were doing things again now. Um, and that, uh, you know, they were installing better air conditioning. If that's the case, I'm very happy. But the fact that they, they started threatening me and saying, we're going to throw you out. And they called security to come to the room. Like, wow. well, because I took a video of showing how I was sweating and how my father was sweating right. as a patient, you know, it's just, instead of coming in and saying, we apologize, they just right. doubled down and we're just, it was just disgusting that I can wow. tell you. Wow. We will be right back. After words from our sponsor. Paraflight. Better care in the air. 
When you need urgent medical attention or transport, you deserve peace of mind. Based on the East Coast, ParaFlight is a full-service medical transport company dedicated to providing dependable, compassionate, and customized care and service to patients and medical teams worldwide. Founded by emergency medical professionals, we understand the sensitive, critical needs of medical teams, patients, and their families. We transport patients and teams from tertiary care facilities, hospital to hospital, or any other destination across the United States and beyond. Our team never compromises on safety or quality of care, following a patient-first, not-profit-driven model of care. This ensures you get the exact customized medical transport solution you need. Check us out online at www.paraflight.arrow. Call us today, 844-538-1911, or send an email to info at paraflight.aero. And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. So, where does... Where is Amudim's headquarters now? Um, our offices are in Lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. That's where we are based. Okay. Um, and, you know, we're, I mean, Bar Hashem, this is where we've been, you know, since, uh, since, you know, since, since we started. We've been in this office and, uh, you know, we have, we have people in other locations we have in florida we have in st louis we have in cleveland we have office in israel we have a clinic in israel Baruch Hashem, we were trying to do what we can to help people but people come to us for help from wherever we don't right. uh we don't limit it we don't right. you know people don't come to us people call us literally from all over the world and you know we um we will do what we can to assist do you personally travel to the offices like do you travel to israel to st louis i to- i i travel a lot, yes. I travel very so often. How do you balance that and family? Um, I, I try very hard not to travel over Shabbos. Okay. That's that's the first thing. Okay. Okay. Um, and you know, so I'm home for Shabbos, and when we do have to travel someplace where, like, there's a an event or something that you know we need to be at or whatever, then we um we always try to take one of our children with us, so it becomes a it becomes more of a thing, you know, instead of it just being, you know, what we're doing, it becomes more of a, it's, it's, it's a nicer, you know, that we're, we're doing it because we're all in this together and uh, that's how it works. Right. So if I take a different kid each time to a different event, you know, then at least they feel more excited about going to it right. instead of, instead of, um, you know, re- you know, resenting it. And then they start, you know, the kids start arguing like, oh, I want to go to this one. I want to go to that event. I want to go to right. the Sora conference. I want to go to the, this one. And we do what we can to appease them and to get everybody on the same page. Wow. That's it. That's that, pretty that, much what that's, it is. That's, that's very interesting that you try to take your kids along. So they, Absolutely. They, they must, they must, I mean, I don't know if they, they love it, but they must have a good time on each place that you go to. Um, they're getting to go on a little vacation. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's why we do it that way. Right. Well, um, I I think Amudim does a great job and great great stuff. What and helping out the whole cloud. We try, you know, it's not always easy, but we got to do what we have to do. Any any interesting stories that happened that you can say? 
I mean, all of our stories are interesting, but, you know, they usually involve other people's pain and sorrows. So, you know, it's just a question of trying to get a, a difference of opinion. And when we have cases where somebody finds out that somebody was abused, we're just trying to get people to understand that we got to try to provide them with the help that they need and not, you know, not try to hush them and try to cover it up. Um, but yeah, these are all different, uh, you know, different things that we uh, have to deal with on a regular basis. I mean, we had so just this week, we had somebody whose child was unfortunately abused and they went and they got, you know, as soon as they, they actually went to the police on their own, like we weren't, I only got a call afterwards where they said, you know, this and this happened and this and this happened. And now the Rabbanim are coming to us and starting up with us. And I, I needed to go down and meet with the Rabbanim that, this fa- that were literally harassing this family just to explain to them what it is when somebody's a victim and why they, they need to be supported. We need to support the victims. We don't, we don't have, you know, so this is, and these are constant issues, you know, so these are things that we, um, we always address and we, we will keep addressing it until we don't need to anymore. And that's really the, the hope. What do the Rabbanim say when someone comes to them and, and says something like that, that I, I, I've been abused? What do, what do they say? So the, the, the truth is, and I have to be very careful, I, I don't like to, I don't want this to come out like in a negative to the Rabbanim, because right. really it's usually just a, a lack of knowledge and understanding of what's right. really 100%. going on. So very often they don't under, they just don't understand what, what abuse is. They don't understand right. what these things mean. So therefore, you know, they, 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 they get very concerned about so many different areas where it's like, we have to be careful, the abuser family, maybe they're lying and they're not, I don't believe they're doing it from a bad place, but they're doing it from a lack of knowledge. So what I generally do is I, I use it as an opportunity. I use it as an opportunity to go to the, um, you know, to go to the Rabbanim and okay. to explain it to them and to, you know, tell them like, hey, this is what's going on and this is what we got to do. So that's that. Right. But do the Rabbanim, they, they, I guess they don't want to get involved or? So either they don't want to get involved or they think that it's, you know, it's a busha or it's an embarrassment or it's a this or it's a that. And, and they, they, they just, they don't, they don't understand, you know, people don't understand what it means to be, you know, that they're, you know, what, what this does and what abuse does to the victims and to their families and, you know, everything else. Right. Wow. Do you see a lot more of Bunham helping out people that aren't getting more and more they're getting there. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely getting much better than it was. Much better. Um, do you have any shaykhs with Arya Weiss? Um, yeah, he's a very, very good friend of mine. He's a tremendous, you know, Baal Chesed. And uh, we do, you know, we try to do things together to help, uh, to help, you know, the Tzibor. Right. So where can people find out more about Amudim? And go to Amudim. Amudim.org. People can donate. They can reach out for help. They can contact us. I mean, this is why we do what we do. Right. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for letting me interview you. I know you're busy and and to take time. I was very thankful. And yeah, Mir Hashem, you should continue doing the amazing work that you do for the cloud and keep on keep it up. And may we never need Amudim again. Amen.
Thank you very much. And thank you for helping, you know, creating awareness is a very, very big thing and being able to address these issues. And by giving us this opportunity, it's extremely helpful. So I got to say thank you for that, because that's really an important piece over here. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your you day. You too. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. You have just listened to the latest episode of the Unique Perspective Show, broadcasted live on Hako Radio, powered by the Munson Mavasar. The Unique Perspective Show is hosted by Yehuda Blonder, who can be contacted through Hako Radio by sending an email to info at hakoradio.com. This show and many others can be found in the Hako Radio archive system on our website and mobile apps, and can also be found on all major podcasting services.